following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. It's my privilege now and great joy to uh, welcome Chris Sullivan back to our community. Chris is an artisan who has uh, gone on to answer the call to ministry that God has placed on his life, which I'm sure he will tell you about, and so I won't say it so that he has to repeat it. Um, But it's wonderful to have you back with us today, Chris, and uh, I'm excited to hear what um, God has put on your heart for us. And so would you all join me in welcoming Chris back to our community Thank you. Good morning. This thing is working all right, right? Okay. Perfect. Um, have you ever had that feeling where, like, you're away from home for an extended period of time, and then you come back, and you're like, ah, oh, this is like just the comforts of home. You sit in the couch, people you love around you, and you're just, like, overwhelmed with just comfort and joy? It's kind of how I feel this morning. I've missed you guys. I've missed this place. Um, and some of you I know, some of you I do not. Um, I am Chris Sullivan. I, my wife and I um, were here for like three, four years um, until this past June. I, we moved to Buffalo um, where I am uh, p- currently planting a chapter with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship uh, at the university at Buffalo for grad students and faculty. Um, which has been this amazing, um, somewhat life-changing journey for us. Um, and it's really caused me to like, rethink, like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Like, it's one of those like, questions that is thrown around a lot. Um, and for me personally, and this may be true for you, maybe not, uh, it's like, so asked that it can lose significance. Um, or... Uh, there, you hear so many cliche Christian answers uh, that go to it um, in response. And it just, I don't know, it just can lose its significance. But I think that this is actually one of the central questions to all four of the Gospels. Uh, and so I want to look specifically at uh, Luke 10 um, and look at uh, and ask the question, what can we learn from Luke 10 about what it means to follow Jesus? Um, and I think there are um, mistakes that you could make uh, when looking at any specific text um, and asking that question. Right? You could uh, make the... Because really this is like a slice of a pie, right? So you could make the mistake of saying that this slice of the pie, the slice of the what does it mean to follow Jesus pie is the whole pie, but it really is only a slice. The reason why that you have so many stories... And for different Gospels, it's because that there are different ways to answer the question, which is also kind of what adds to um, the confusion around the question. Like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Uh, another way to uh, make a mistake when looking at this passage is um, to put into practice exactly what you see in the text, which I think would also be a mistake. So let's... Um, get into the text, and before I see if this thing will hold my heavy Bible, um, I want to give a little bit of literary context to chapter 10. So in chapter 4 of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is baptized, um, receives the Holy Spirit, and goes out in the wilderness and is 
tempted for 40 days, and then comes out and begins his ministry in Galilee. And from chapters 4 through 9, his ministry is characterized primarily by teaching on the kingdom of God uh, and performing miracles, which include healing the sick and casting out demons. Um, And then at the end of chapter 9, you get this um, short little story where uh, three people, well, two people come to Jesus. um, Actually, no, Jesus goes to two people and says, come follow me. And then one person goes to Jesus and says, I will follow you. And to each of them, he responds by saying, uh, asking them to make some sort of sacrifice. And it doesn't, the narrator doesn't say how they respond because it begs the question, how will you as the readers respond? Uh, And so that is the underlying question as we lead into chapter 10. How will you respond to what it means to follow Jesus? And so I think that is a particularly apt question um, to be looking at and entering into Luke chapter 10. Uh, So let's go ahead and read um, verses 1 through 20. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others. And a little background information first. Okay, so in chapter 9, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples to go and essentially do what they've seen him doing. Uh, so they teach on the kingdom of God, they perform miracles, they heal the sick and cast out demons, right? So Jesus says, you've seen what I've done, go and do likewise. Uh, and so now in chapter 10, he appoints not 12, but 72. So after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborers deserve, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For the deeds of power done in you, for if the deeds of power had been done in you, that were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, But at the judgment, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submitted to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions 
and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So like I said, like, one mistake would be to try to like, put exactly what you see in the text into practice, um, which I think would definitely be a mistake. Should we go out and knock on doors and pairs? No, that wouldn't be culturally appropriate. And actually, there are already people who do it, so you don't have to worry about it, right? <laughs> that base is covered, even if it is culturally inappropriate. Okay, so I want to highlight three things from the text about what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, the first one is, following Jesus means that you are a community on mission. You are a community on mission. So front and center in all four of the Gospels um, is Jesus gathering around himself, equipping and then commissioning people on mission uh, with all their flaws and their messiness to be a redeeming presence in the world. That is central in all four of the Gospels. And I think that's actually historically the way God is at work in the world. Um, Jesus sending out the 72 ahead of him to the places he desired to go is pretty consistent with how God has been at work in the Old Testament. Right, so you see, um, we'll go all the way back to the beginning, the Garden of Eden. God doesn't go and just take care of everything. He creates people and puts them in the garden to cultivate creation. Then you have Noah. God uh, rescued Noah and his family out to be uh, this sort of redeeming presence, right? Um, and then there's Abraham, who's going to be the father of many nations. And then there's Israel. Uh, and Israel was to be a blessing to all the nations. And this is how God has been at work in the world, is by equipping and calling out people on mission. Then there are Jesus' followers, as we see in this text. And then there are you. There is you, Artisan Church, called and equipped to be uh, God's redeeming presence in the world. Uh, you are a community on mission. So if Jesus, who is so passionately desiring to bring every man, woman, and child into his kingdom, if he makes himself to a certain degree dependent on us to carry forth that mission, how seriously do we take the mission? Like if God actually is to a certain degree, making himself dependent on his people to carry forth the mission, how seriously do we take the mission? So I want to look back at Luke chapter 10, because I think it's just really interesting the way uh, Jesus commissions the people uh, to go um, out in pairs. Right? So if you look at verse 2, Jesus says that the workers are few and the harvest is plentiful, therefore pray uh, for more workers. Right? Like, that's kind of discouraging. You know, he's sending them out and he's saying, there's already not enough of you, but go. Uh, and then in verse 3, he says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Right? So it's not only discouraging, but it's also dangerous. There is implied danger in the journey. And in verse 4, he says, don't take anything with you, rely on the hospitality of other people, which means that they're essentially going out discouraged 
aware of the dangers and intentionally vulnerable. So, I mean, living into that mission for them was a little bit risky. For us, it's not always so risky. Granted, I think that stepping outside of your comfort zone is a risk, uh, and uh, it definitely is a risk for me. You know, working with InterVarsity, that's something that has, like, really changed uh, my... It's really challenged me in that way. Uh, you know, I don't always agree with some of the, uh, like, evangelistic... Um, practices, but uh, they have stretched me in ways that have made me more bold. Uh, so, for example, new staff training in university, they have what, um, one day that they call the evangelism experience because it's one of university's four commitments. Um, and so they tell you to go out in Madison and do what's called contact evangelism, which is where you essentially walk up to somebody you don't know and say, hi, what's your name? Okay, I'm Chris. And then And then you try to figure out where they are um, in their faith and then ask and then invite them to take whatever that next step is. Um, it was very stretching. <laughs> uh, really uncomfortable. Uh, but, I don't know, there was just something about that really uncomfortable and albeit um, I don't necessarily think it's um, terribly effective. Uh, there's something about the experience that is actually like I don't know, made me just a little bit more bold. Um, so sometimes taking risks, even if they're like misappropriately aimed risks, can actually help make you more bold. Um, and I could, I don't know, share story after story about being bold. Like one, uh, or I could share stories about like utterly failing at being bold. Um, I mean, one time, at, uh, working at Lifetime Assistance, my supervisor... Uh, who, I don't know, like I worked pretty closely with opening a new house. Um, she was like one of those people who doesn't manage stress that well, like just stresses out over every little thing um, and falls apart. Uh, and then so she would just kind of dump all of that on me, and then I would hold it, right? Because I like, I can manage stress a little bit better to a certain degree. Not, you know, like terribly, terribly, terribly great, but um, better than she could. And so she literally asked me, it's like that cliche moment that like cliche Christian moment that you hear, she literally asked me like, Chris, I want what you have. Like, why are you so happy? Like, oh. I started sweating. I'm like, this is the perfect opportunity to tell her about Jesus. <laughs> And I didn't. I didn't. I totally failed. I like, I just got nervous. And I don't even remember what I said. But I like, I didn't share with her like the relevance of the gospel in my life. Um, and how that's like how I was living out the gospel. I didn't. Uh, so sometimes taking risks can actually make you more bold to take other risks. Um, so I just find it interesting that Jesus commissions the disciples um, in a very discouraging uh, way. <laughs> um, and so the nat natural question is, where is God inviting artisan as a community to take risks? Uh, and I think one obvious way, as actually Scott was just talking about, is going to two services, which I think is actually a pretty risky thing to do. Um, and you probably feel somewhat vulnerable. And maybe some of you feel somewhat discouraged. Uh, but that actually is a natural part of, that can be a natural part of what it means to follow Jesus. Is that you are a community on mission uh, and responding appropriately to the needs 
um, that, are, that you're surrounded with as they arise. Uh, so that, I don't know, that's both risky and exciting. So the point number one, what does it mean to follow Jesus? You are a community on mission. Uh, point number two, following Jesus means that you are also a community of proclamation. Jesus sends his followers to proclaim the kingdom of God and what they say and what they do. And I would like to suggest that if you carry the gospel message in only one or the other, in either the work of the gospel or just the word of the gospel, that it is incomplete. You actually have to carry the gospel in both the work of the gospel and the word of the gospel. So if you are just doing, like say you're just doing contact evangelism, that is an incomplete, insufficient proclamation of the gospel because it is not packed with the fully orbed um, impact of the gospel uh, in its relevance in life. Um, Or if you're just doing social work, without actually opening your mouth and proclaiming the gospel uh, with your lips, with your words, uh, then that is also incomplete and insufficient. You actually also have to like, utter the words of the gospel, kind of like I failed to do. Right? I had the opportunity and I failed to do it. Like you, you, actually, you can't just be living out the gospel you actually have to proclaim the gospel too. And that is essential to what it means to follow Jesus. It's essential. So that's point number two. Point number one, you're a community on mission. Point number two, you're a community of proclamation. And point number three, following Jesus means that you are, that who you are as a child of God, is more important than what you do or your successes or failures in life. Notice verse 20 in the text, which I actually did not put here, so I don't want to... I think I got the copy right here. Okay. Uh, Where Jesus says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Notice that there's no description of the actual um, journey uh, the actual experiences that um, the disciple, the 72 followers of Jesus uh, were on. Um, it moves right from Jesus' commissioning to the results. Uh, that they come back rejoicing that in Jesus' name, even the demons submitted to him. That they had a success that was even better than anticipated. Because Jesus didn't, when he commissioned them, he said, go and proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. And they come back saying, even the demons submitted to us in your name. Uh, So the success was even better than they anticipated. And Jesus' response is a bit of rejoicing. And then verse 20, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now what does Jesus go on to do in verse 21, which we didn't read, 21 through 25? He actually, the next word is that, and then Jesus rejoiced. So, You know, it's not that rejoicing is necessarily a bad thing, um, rejoicing in success, but uh, I think this is a really, like, great sentence that Jesus gives to um, help us check. Uh, 
check ourselves. Because, like, how do we define success in our culture? Like, we essentially define success by our achievements. And as Christians, our achievements for God. Or our cultural achievements. Um, and culturally, we tend, we tend to think about people more of as human doings instead of human beings. You know, when you meet somebody new for the first time, you, and you're just starting to get to know somebody, what is one of the first questions you ask them to figure out who they are? What do you do? Meaning, what do you do for work? Because we tend to define people by what they do. But I would, I would suggest that that is actually a miss, um, a poor definition, a poor way to define people. Uh, because what's even more important than our achievements for God or our successes in life or even our lack thereof is our relationship with him as children of the king. That you are not defined by what you do, not even defined by success in, say, ministry by moving to two services. But that what's even more important than that is that your names are written in heaven that you are a child of the king. Which I think that is part of the beauty of communion, is that it invites, it's, it's the great leveling of the playing field, right? It invites people of ev- every area of life to uh, come and partake as equal children of God. That there's no difference between any of us in our successes or our failures, because what really defines you is that you are a child of God. So I want to invite you to come to the table, not as skilled professionals or as uh, educated experts um, or just as like overall successful or unsuccessful human beings. Uh, but instead, I want to invite you to the table as children, daughters, and sons of the king. Um, and that that's part of our response uh, to the gospel, uh, to, fo- to what it means to follow Jesus, um, is partaking of the breaking of the bread uh, and uh, the wine of the juice, whichever is more appropriate for you. At Artisan, I know you guys probably still practice um, intinction, where you dip the bread um, in either the, the wine or the juice. Um, so with that, I'd just like to welcome uh, you to partake of communion as we continue to worship. Thank you. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.